Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together as the body of Christ. And we thank you for the last couple months that have reminded us of that, of just the, the need, um, the joy, the privilege for us to gather together and in community to worship you and to be encouraged in you, to be built up as a body of believers. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have, uh, limited as they may be, we still have freedom to come together and to worship, and we still have freedom to be the church in the world, uh, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for those freedoms, Lord, and we pray that those freedoms would be protected, that you would continue to give us opportunity and give us boldness to seize the opportunity to be ministers of the gospel Uh, while the time remains, while we have opportunity to labor in this mission field. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to look into your word and to do so corporately, to gather together and to look into your word. We thank you for this Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, as we celebrate the coming of your Holy Spirit almost 2,000 years ago, when you poured out your spirit upon all those who trust in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you established the church, your body, and that you are at work through your body, And that it is by your enabling, the enabling of your Holy Spirit, that you are accomplishing your purposes in us and through us in the world today. We surrender to you and we ask that you would anoint us by your Holy Spirit. That you would empty us of ourselves and that you would fill us with your Spirit. So that we would be ministers, so that we would have that power that you promised to be witnesses to you in this place and to the ends of the earth. We ask that you would bless your word to us this morning. You would challenge us by it and encourage us by it. And I pray that you would give me the strength and the boldness to present what your word says, that it would be your thoughts rather than my own. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 1. The title of my message this morning might be a little bit of a strange one for Pentecost Sunday, but it is, You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone. And so whether it's Pentecost Sunday, you just need to hear that. It's good to be reminded of it. You are not alone. That shouldn't come as a surprise for you. If you have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, you should know that you are not alone. You should be intimately familiar with the promise from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and the context of it as well. Quite often we just take the promise, and we leave out the context. So I'll read it for you, and then we'll go back to Acts. So Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he, that is God himself, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if you are a believer, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, I pray that you've at least heard that verse before, that you're familiar with that verse, that you've memorized that verse, and that you know the reality of that verse. I think often we are prone to apply that verse in regards to eternal things. God will never leave us nor forsake us, and we think that that means that I am eternally secure in him, which is true. That means that God will never turn me over to eternal judgment, that I am assured of heaven rather than hell, and that is true as well. But the verse is not only about your eternal destiny. The verse is about your present reality. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you have surrendered and submitted to him, he has promised he is with you. 
you are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. So you can live, as the context of that verse says, without coveting. That is, without a lustful desire to have something someone else has. Why? Because you have God. And he is more than sufficient to satisfy your desires. You can be content, as the context of that verse says, because God is with you and his presence drives out discontentment. Your contentment must be learned, absolutely, but what better way to learn contentment than in the presence of the one who supplies all things that you need, the one who truly is and must be our heart's desire. So the abiding presence of God, the fact that with him in our lives we are never alone, is an incredible practical reality today. It is practical. It is a reality if you've trusted him. And it is for today. This is particularly true in this time of uncertainty and chaos that we find the world in. In the midst of it all, whatever that looks like for you, you are not alone. Even as you've had to physically distance and so, to a certain degree, social distance from others, regardless of whether you have felt alone or not, you are not alone. As you deal with loss, as you deal with suffering, You are not alone. You are never alone if Christ is your Lord. God is there in the depths of that. As you are frustrated and as you are anxious, even though we shouldn't be, (laughs) in the midst of all these things that maybe the world, we feel like the world is pushing down upon us, you are not alone. On Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, as you're parenting your children, And teaching your children, you are not alone. Even if you feel abandoned in that, and I pray that you don't, you're not alone. Whether you want to throttle them or your spouse or not, you're not alone. That might be a good thing, that might be a bad thing. Maybe we wish we were alone. Okay, God, could you turn your eyes away from me for at least a short moment here in this period of time? We are not alone. You are not alone. God is there. In everything, he is there. And not not just as a judge. Yes, we recognize that God is the righteous judge of all. If he's your Lord and Savior, your sins have already been judged on Jesus Christ. He is not the judge with a gavel waiting to fall if he is your Lord and Savior. He is there in grace and mercy and tenderness. He is there as your loving heavenly Father. Even when you've blown it, even when you have fallen into sin and you have made a wreck of everything, if you are his child, by grace through faith, he has not left you nor forsaken you. You are not alone. Now, since that is a promise of the word of God and we accept it as true, how is it so? How is it true? How can God be with us? The answer to that is that God is with us and in us by his spirit whom he gives to everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation. Today is Pentecost Sunday and so I want to read the account of the coming of the Holy Spirit and then a bit of a description of the work of the Holy Spirit as declared by Jesus Christ himself. I hope that you're all familiar with this. I'm going to skip over a few passages this morning. In Acts chapter 1, We have the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit where Jesus says that you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and unto the ends of the earth. And Samaria, I missed that one. That's in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. 
Then in Acts chapter 2, we actually have the fulfillment of that. So we're going to look mostly at John chapter 14, but I don't want to miss the major event of Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then skip down to Acts chapter 2, verse 29. This is kind of the tail end of Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 men, it says, came to know the Lord. It says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had shown with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. And just as a subnote as well, if you skip down to verse 38 and 39, talking about this, they cry out, then what must we do to be saved? Essentially, uh, they say, men and brethren, what must we do when they're convicted in their heart? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, I don't want to get distracted in there with the aspect of repent and be baptized. We understand that if we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that is, believe in Jesus Christ, it involves repentance. You cannot believe, that is, have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation without also having repented of your sins. Okay, they go together. And baptism is the external expression of that. But what I want to focus on there and what I want to drive home is that anyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life is baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit indwells them. And it is given to all those who believe and repent. And it says, it lists it here as the promise is to you and to your children and to those who are all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. In other words, all who will be saved will have the Spirit. And we see that as well from uh, 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4, that the one who has Christ, the one who is born again, has the Spirit of God within us. Matter of fact, it is the mark of the believer. If you do not have the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit in your life, then you are not a child of God. It is the mark of the child of God. I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know how when God declares us righteous, suddenly he indwells us with his spirit. But I do know that it is the reality. I couldn't describe to you exactly how that takes place. I don't know if anyone truly could. But it is the reality that when you trust, when God declares you righteous in Jesus Christ, he sends his spirit to live within you. His spirit to live within you. So you are not alone, by his Spirit. God is doing a work in the world today, and it is through his body 
all of those who are indwelt by his spirit, the church universal, and it is empowered by his spirit. And although we don't know exactly how that works, that transition takes place, we do know quite a bit actually about the work of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us over to John chapter 14. Now, I wanted to look at John 14, John 15, and John 16 this morning, but that's just not possible because there's a portion about the working of the Holy Spirit in each of those chapters. This morning, we're just going to look at John chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 15 through to the end of verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, that is the Heavenly Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I don't have three points, but what I do have is a few things that I would like you to note from this passage, and I will go through them fairly quickly. The first thing that I would like you to note is the reason that you are not alone is because God has sent the Holy Spirit, and it's He, the Holy Spirit, is listed here as another helper. Remember that these promises that are made in John chapter 14 are fulfilled in the passage in Acts chapter 2 that we just read. Okay, so the Holy Spirit has come. He is now indwelling everyone who is is trusting Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. So what does Jesus say about this Spirit who would come and now is come? One of the first things we see there, it says he is another helper. And focus on the word another. Another means one like that which was. And who was the one which was with them? Well, Jesus Christ. It'll be another helper like unto Jesus Christ. One of similar function to what Jesus Christ had been doing. Christ had served his disciples and the apostles. He had taught them. He had encouraged them. He had corrected them. He had rebuked them. All of these things that were the ministry of Jesus Christ to his followers while he was on earth, we have another one coming in like form, in like fashion, who would do similar. Another helper. The one that would be sent, the Holy Spirit, who has since come and is still in believers today, is that one, another like Jesus Christ. The second thing to note is that it's not just another, but it is another helper. Other versions that you may have may say another comforter or another advocate. It's the same idea. It comes from the same Greek word. The Greek word is parakletos, one who comes alongside or an advocate, one who is summoned, one who comes or is called to aid. That is the Holy Spirit, another helper. And in the New King James Version anyways, helper is capitalized. It is a title. It's not just a description. It is the title of the Holy Spirit. This another one like Christ who would come is another helper, another parakletos. And that idea there actually is beautiful. That it's another one who comes alongside, comes to our aid. 
As I was driving to church this morning, I was listening to CIM, and there was a bit of a discussion on Pentecost, and I'd also seen a couple things on Facebook this morning, and it is good for us to focus on the outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That is a reality. We should not miss that. But too often when we talk about Pentecost, we get so focused on the outpouring of power that we miss that it was an outpouring of another helper, another one like Christ. And at times, we absolutely need, we need to trust in, the, in his, his resurrection power within us to do what he calls us to do. But don't we more often than not need someone who is another comforter, another helper, another one who comes along and embraces us in the same way that Christ did to his own disciples and apostles? He is another helper, another comforter. Thayer's Greek definition says of this title, parakletos, another helper, the Holy Spirit destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles, to lead them to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth, to give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecution on behalf of the divine kingdom. Give them strength and perseverance as they struggled through the world that we are in for the name of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is this another helper. The third thing that I want you to note is it says in verse 16 that he may abide with you forever. That he will abide with you forever. Abide is, is a little more intimate than just stay, in my opinion. There's, there's something about this, the abiding presence of God in our life, of, of Christ in our life, of his Holy Spirit in our life. It's, it really is, it's another beautiful word. He is here, he is with us, and he will remain it doesn't have the idea of this temporary visitor or one who runs when the going gets tough. I, I like that particularly. Abide is the, this picture of someone who is there in the depths of the struggle. Someone who sticks, sticks with you. We need, you need the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, you will not survive independent of him. You can't be a believer independent of him, but you're not going to make it if you're doing it on your own, or if you're trying to do it on your own, you need his abiding presence. And it is abiding presence forever. Forever. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Praise God for that. And this was, this was accomplished in Pentecost, the indwelling, and now the abiding of his spirit. Verse 17 continues, and this is another thing I'd like you to note, is that, he is the spirit of truth. Not only do we have one who stays with us, one who abides with us in the thickest and the deepest and the hardest spots, but it is the spirit of truth who is there, which means that there is no error with him and, and any accusation that is from Satan, he throws out and rejects because he's the spirit of truth that abides with us. We need, it's, it's one thing to have a friend who sticks with you, but I guarantee you will never have a friend who sticks with you who always, deliberately or not, but who always tells you the truth. Who never, because we're, we're frail, right? We're broken. We have a sin nature. We're prone to exaggerate. We're prone to stretch things. Sometimes we're prone to do very ungodly things like rumors and gossip and backbiting and all of these things. And it's important that we have people that abide with us but no one abides with you like Jesus Christ does by his spirit. 
because he is the spirit of truth. Verse 17 says, he dwells with you and will be in you. Now that was before his coming. He's telling the disciples and the apostles, right now he's with you. He will be, after Pentecost, in you. So present day reality, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, is that he is in you. He is in you. Have you ever tried, this is a rhetorical question, have you ever tried to run away from your problems? I've counseled a few people who have. <laughs> I've been there a few times myself. There's this um, reality that when you try to run away from your problems, you always take them wherever you run to, right? Because the problem generally, it, it, there may be an environmental thing that you can escape, but a lot of the time the problem's not out there, it's in here, isn't it? And so the harder you run, well, it doesn't matter because it's right there. There's the expression that where you go, there you are. <laughs> well, so is your sin nature. So is the problem. It's with you. You are you. Wherever you go, there you are. Guess what? Wherever you go, there the Holy Spirit is as well because he is in you. He dwells with you and he is in you. These verses continue to be beautiful. Verse 18 I will not leave you orphans. He was speaking to his own disciples, to his apostles, to those he loved dearly. And he was speaking of his coming death. Remember John chapter 14 at the very beginning of this is, let not your hearts be troubled. He's just told them in John chapter 13 that I am not going to be with you very long, that I'm leaving you. And then he says, don't be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you and I'll come again and receive you myself. But in the meanwhile, guess what? I will not leave you orphans. I won't abandon you. I will come to you. How? By his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he abides with all those who trust him. We are not orphaned. We are not alone. This passage and John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, they both continue to explain what the coming of the Holy Spirit means for believers. I'd encourage you to read through them. I want to pull out one more thought from this passage, maybe two more thoughts. In verse 19, Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. Because he lives, we live. Is that speaking about resurrection life? Well, it may be to a certain degree. We know that because of Christ's resurrection, that one day we will be raised, that this tent will be set aside and we'll receive a new one that's incorruptible, that's immortal, that's without sin. But it's also speaking about life now. Jesus Christ has just said, I will come to you, speaking of his coming to indwell them by his Holy Spirit. Then he says, in a bit, the world won't see me, but you will see me. This is a short bit of time, not the rest of your life. How would they see him? They would see him by the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost and seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Then he says, because I live, you will live also. I am going to indwell you by my Spirit to cause life within you that you could not have otherwise. True life is only by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who makes us alive in Jesus Christ. You are not alone. Christ lives within you. His Holy Spirit abides with you. It also should speak to the vibrancy or the quality of our spiritual life, right? If we are truly quickened, that is made alive in Jesus Christ, if we have had the divine breath of life breathed upon us, then we should be alive, completely alive 
in Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection life is the guarantee of us being alive. Because I live, he says, you will live also. And then the last thing that I want you to note before I conclude is to point out from this passage in verse 20 particularly how that works, or at least the picture, the illustration of it. It says that that day you will know, that is when his spirit comes upon you and you are indwelt by the spirit, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. The picture that God gives that Jesus Christ gives here so that we can understand what it means to have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit within us is the picture of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You will know that at that day I am in the Father, that Jesus Christ is in the Father, and that you, that is all those who trust him, are in Jesus Christ, and he is in you. Just as Christ is one with the Father in the Trinity, we are one with Jesus Christ. Not in the same way. You don't become a mini-God or a part of the Trinity, but you were indwelt with him. You were in that intimate of relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. You are rather indwelt by the Lord of all, Jesus Christ, through his Spirit. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to indwell and to seal believers until the day that Jesus Christ comes to take us to be face to face with himself. By the Spirit now, Christ indwells you. I pray that you know him as Lord and Savior. I pray that there has been a time, and not just a time in the past where you could say, I said a prayer, but that you are, even this moment, trusting in him. That you have turned from your sin. You've had a change of mind about it and a change of direction in regards to it. And you've changed that mind towards him and that direction towards him. You're trusting him. And that you're living based on his indwelling spirit, based on his life within you. No matter how you feel, that you're realizing you're not alone, you're dependent upon him and you're living in him. That no matter how you hurt, you realize that you are not alone, you are not forsaken. His Holy Spirit is indwelling you and abiding with you and will be forever. And that even no matter how hard you fall, he has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you. If you have been declared righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are not alone. I pray that that encourages your heart. And in this chaotic time in which we find ourselves, often a fearful time, an uncertain time, that no matter what it holds, we have no uncertainty. We have no fear. We don't even have really that much concern. Why? Because what can they take from us but our very lives? They cannot take the Spirit. They cannot take Jesus Christ. They cannot take the abiding presence. They cannot take the fact that you were indwelt with and are secure in and are resting in. And I pray that that is the case. That as you know his presence in your life, that nothing will cause that to shake because you rest, you rest, you rest in that position. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that almost 2,000 years ago you poured out your spirit upon all those who would claim you as Lord and Savior. That at the moment, Lord, that that, that is actually the work of salvation, that your Holy Spirit indwells and transforms us sinners that you, by your Spirit, place the righteousness of Christ upon us. 
And we thank you that you have taken our sin upon yourself. Thank you for this work that you've done. And even if we can never explain how it works, when that transition takes place or how it happens, we know that we can trust your word. And so we thank you. We thank you for your indwelling presence. We thank you for salvation, for the wonder of salvation. That you have not left us, you have not orphaned us, we, we are not abandoned. You have adopted us into the family in Jesus Christ. And so we are your children by grace through faith and we praise you for that. We thank you for your spirit who indwells and seals us unto the day of redemption. And we ask that you would cause us to see that for the reality that it is. And when we are anxious, when we are worried, when whatever may be pressing down upon us, when that takes place in that moment, that we would be reminded that it's not me that's living this life. It is you, your power within us, your spirit within us. And I pray that you would cause us to once again surrender, to yield, and to ask you that you would empty us of self, of that selfish desire of that sinful nature and that you would fill us. Not just that we would know the abiding presence, as beautiful as that, but we would know the filling power of your Holy Spirit as well to do and to be all that you call us to be as your child. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.